Welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. I am Rosie. I'm Hope, and I have two very esteemed guests here with me today. (laughs) One of them is my roommate, Griffin, that you all know (laughs) of. And our other one is Griffin's soulmate, Rob Carlson. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. It's a uh, huge honor. First time caller, long time listener. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so today we're continuing with the masculinity series that I accidentally created for this month. Um, Today we're talking about gatekeeping culture and toxic masculinity within video games and just general games. Yes. So... I'm new. Well, why don't you guys introduce yourselves before I talk about me more? So, Robert, okay. go yeah, ahead. I'm um, Rob Carlson, as as has been said a, a couple times now. Um, these are my very best friends in the world, and uh, I've been playing video games uh, for my entire life. Uh, I was a huge part of the whole toxic masculinity and gaming problem back when I was in high school. So a lot of first-hand experience uh committing and witnessing so got a lot to say about it yeah and uh y'all i hope everyone knows me by now i've been a guest once at least um (laughs) and hope talks about me like you've been mentioned i've been mentioned once or twice yeah um and i have a very similar backstory to rob where um i have also been playing video games and been part of nerd culture most of my life and was also a contributor to the problem with for a uh, pretty big chunk of it. So I can't believe we're already at plot twists. We're like two seconds in. That's crazy. <laughs> it, well, it's a really good way to start off with because I, I feel like I feel like especially women coming to this, knowing that we're having two guys on as guests, will probably feel a little bit better hearing that at the at the jump. You know? Yeah. Because because you know if if you can acknowledge like oh yeah I was part of that that culture and i can acknowledge that that's a bad thing now then that's really right. good to work on so okay so would you guys each like to define gatekeeping in your own words and how you've encountered it um in your gaming experiences sure yeah so as i understand it uh it's when a person or a group of people uh is very protective of a certain thing that they like very much. And when that, as that thing starts to gain popularity, they will try to alienate new fans of it for not being a fan of it for as long as they have, or for only liking it for shallow purposes or something like that, uh, which is all bullshit, but yeah, it's, um, it's a pretty big t- part of like uh, a lot of toxic cultures. Um, Rob defined it pretty well uh, for a technical definition. And it's just the way I see it is a lot of guys. It's well, it's not always guys, but it's usually guys. It's a lot. A lot of the time it's guys. A lot of people see it as something of theirs. Like they feel ownership over it and a lot of times i think that comes from um people feeling like you know it belongs to them or they belong to it and so people get very defensive over you know you have to meet a certain criteria to be part of the cool kids club yeah and if you're Mm -hmm. not then you're not in it um 
Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of what it boils down to, I think. So interestingly enough, the first time I encountered gatekeeping was in when I was in the Twilight fandom. <laughs> 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 so we'd go to, you know, Hot Topic where Griffin and I basically honeymoon and uh, there would be like trivia and all this stuff and you weren't really a quote unquote real Twilight fan if you knew like the exact length of somebody's arm. You know what I mean? Like, it's very, like, if you don't know every nook and cranny of this character or this story or, like, whatever's going on in this universe, then you're not a quote-unquote real fan. And I think I want to do this episode because I kind of married into nerd culture with you, Griffin, (laughs) and also with you, Rob, since you two are soulmates. And I've been, like, I really liked Deadpool when it came out. I don't know if you recall this, you know, back in early 2016 well i was in key west so i didn't know you. whatever shut up and then but i would want to like get deadpool merch and i'd be like no i can't i've only seen the movies i haven't like read the comic books or anything and as we've gotten more into nerd culture meaning i've become more ingrained into this i feel like i'm not a good enough star wars fan i feel like i'm not a good enough marvel fan and you have to say to me all the time do you like this great you're a fan you're just allowed to like things and like them um so i am now interested can you talk about your backgrounds in how you got to the point you where you are now and where the change happened where you became resistant to get gatekeeping instead of engaging in gatekeeping yeah um well let's see it all started back in 2010 <laughs> when i was like what 13 ish i don't know I don't know when it actually started, but um, I think a lot of it sprung up in like kind of hand in hand with like internet culture. Now that I think about it, because I didn't really start like thinking these things until I got a little more like ingrained in the internet. Like, cause I, I like, I remember when I was a little kid, I would just be like, Oh, you like star Wars. I like star Wars. That's awesome. Let's grab sticks and play like lightsabers. <laughs> Like, let's go, like, lightsaber fight with these sticks we got in the parking lot. Like, it was just, like, very, like... Wholesome. Wholesome, just like, oh, you like Star Wars? Awesome. Let's go. And then I grew up a little bit, and as being the the zillennial I am, grew up on the internet a lot. Um, and I think that's where I first started kind of seeing it, now that I'm, like, reflecting on it. Um, because it was, like you have to prove that you're like cool. Like you have to like get my references. You have to like understand. So it was kind of as more as I became a teenager, it was just kind of, it was kind of almost like part of the culture to be kind of gatekeeping. And I didn't know at the time, but it's also like, there's a, a really strong vein of sexism ingrained in that as well. Um, Cause this was around the time where there was a lot of call outs for like fake gamer girls or like, you're just like, cause like with the, with the advent of social media, you know, you could get more likes for like posing with the controller or like saying you game. And so a lot of guys started being like, well, just cause you have a controller, like in your Instagram picture, doesn't mean you actually game. Like you could just be doing that to like, if for lack of a better term, like quote unquote bait, like male gamers into following you. So like a lot of like, toxic guys saw that as like you're just doing this for clout you're just doing this for likes like 
Um, and so when people feel, I kind of touched on this earlier, I think when people feel ownership over something, they tend to get very defensive of it. And I think the root of that is for a lot of people, for a lot of like nerds, for a lot of nerd culture, for a lot of video gamers, um, this was a place, this is like maybe, you know, the first place they felt accepted in a group with people or the first time they found something that they liked by themselves that wasn't being forced on them to like, like, you know, for a lot of guys like sports or like whatever. Um, or it was just like this world that they could escape to from like whatever problems they had in real life. So when something becomes that crucial to you, when it becomes that like important to like who you are as a person, you get defensive over it and you don't like, I mean, nobody wants, um, nobody wants someone coming in and like taking what's theirs. And I think that's kind of like the knee jerk reaction. A lot of like toxic dudes have to people coming into like video games and nerd culture and stuff. And I think that's why I, I personally think that's where like a lot of the like, gatekeeping culture stems from is just male insecurity, especially insecurity for a lot of guys who have generally been kind of bullied throughout their life or like put down or told they're not cool for these things. Um, so I guess that was, that was definitely a big part of it for me was, you know, I was bullied a lot in school. I wasn't very popular. Um, I had this thing that I could escape into. Um, I didn't want anyone like faking it or it was like, you know, I was like, oh, I can't talk to you in depth about how the difference between the original theatrical cut of Star Wars and how George Lucas changed it in 1999 and how Disney changed it again. Oh, well, then obviously you're not a real fan because I can't talk to you about this. So like you have since educated you're, me. You're faking it. Like, obviously, like <laughs> on this subject, you feel very strongly about. Right, right. But that's the thing is that I, I think that's where that comes from is that if you can't talk to me in depth, as in depth about it as I can with you, then you're not a real fan. But so I guess whenever it changed would have been, I don't know, probably when I started sailing and I just like, I, cause like, as I got older, I just kind of got more like aware of how shitty it was and how like, chilled out a little bit. Yeah. I, pretty much kind of chilled out a, a little bit and just kind of learned that was the positive side of the internet was there were also people on the internet being like, no, gatekeeping is not cool. And here's why. Well, yeah, I uh, absolutely agree with everything that he just said. Uh, and that's really pretty much the same story that I went through. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think a lot of the, the protectiveness stems from uh this feeling of ownership and entitlement to uh, to video games and geeky stuff in general. Like when I was probably 12 or 13, it started, I mean, video games and geeky stuff was my entire identity. I didn't, I didn't have a character to speak of. That was all I had to cling through. I didn't, I didn't develop a personality until like five years ago. So <laughs> when when people would I'll, I'll say when when people would claim to be fans of something like Griffin said who didn't know nearly as much as I did about something specific then I would I would automatically just dismiss them as not real fans uh you know same as everything we've been talking about and I'd say that didn't really change until later in 
my career with gaming, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, I don't play games as much as I used to, but uh, towards the end, when, right when I was starting college, uh, I made some friends online in different games uh, with, with women, a couple trans people, gay people. And, and that's really when my perspective started to change is just getting perspectives from these other people who I already liked because I grew up in Call of Duty lobbies on Xbox Live, which is almost exclusively white, male, just horrible people. It's the chat in those lobbies is almost exclusively slurs. Yeah. Swear words. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's white 13-year-old boys calling you the gay slur F-word. You know, racial slur. Racial every slur racial slur you can you oh can think God. of is just thrown about with aplomb in in Call of Duty chats. Back then, at least, it might be different now. I have a feeling it's not. It's but... slightly improved, but not much. Okay. Now, instead of now being twelve year olds using those racial slurs, it's like twenty year olds who have been doing it since they were twelve. Yeah. So it's a lot less acceptable. It's not. No, it was never acceptable. No, I'm sorry. I take that back. It's it's just. The culture has shifted around it to become more openly unacceptable. But you can understand that in in my case, I was like that too back then when I was a, a young boy. Uh, that when you surround yourself with that kind of people for probably 40, 50 hours a week, that's just who you become. That's mm-hmm you operate mm-hmm. the same way as they do. Uh, so, yeah, just changing the people you're surrounded with is what really changed it for me when I made those friends, when I started sailing and was suddenly surrounded by, like, 15 or 16 of the strongest women I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Nothing was tolerated. <laughs> so, literally, yeah, punch you and you said those words. And right. when, I, when I moved into writing classes in college, the writing program at the school I went to was almost exclusively women as well. I was one of maybe two or three men in that program. And writing classes at schools are just group therapy sessions. So that, that changed a lot of things as well. Writing classes will give you the thickest skin you could possibly get oh, yeah. because they're yes. going to scare you a new butthole yep. whenever they're editing your work. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, have either of you ever felt threatened by a female gamer in your experiences? And what was that like? When I, when I was a kid, definitely. Uh, just because, you know, I didn't really have self-esteem to speak of when I was in my teens. So being good at video games was the only thing I had to cling to because video games were the only thing I had to cling to. So when approached by a female gamer in that sort of setting, when I was already upset about male gamers being better than me, was very upsetting because I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, which is a very, you know, old old timey sort of sort of place. A lot of 
it's not the most liberal place. No, uh, a lot of a lot of misogyny. It's uh, the second highest old people population after the state of Florida. All right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Fun fact for you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, just pretty much from every angle is just very, very, very reinforced gender roles. So. Yeah, yeah I've had it similar where like getting beat by a lady used to really upset me. Um, I also have, but the the first thing that popped into my mind when you asked if a female gamer ever made me feel insecure was an automatic yes, but it wasn't for the reason you might think. The reason was because she was gay and my girlfriend at the time was also into video games and also not straight. And I was really insecure that she was going (laughs) to steal my girlfriend. They were really good friends, so I was like, this, this lady, I didn't, I didn't think lady. You literally just threatened that the female gamer would steal your girl. <laughs> literally so worried and so upset that, like, her friend was, like, trying to sleep with my girlfriend. And I was like, ah, the worst. Like, she's better be in the video game, and she's trying to take my girlfriend. Like, all around, no good. That's situation. a lot of, that's a lot of insecurity going on. Yeah, you got it. it was just. That's a lot to handle. It's just not good. That's so funny, dude. Yeah, that is funny. I'm sorry. I also teenage. You also would get jealous of cats who would make bread on your girlfriend's boobs. So insecure that I would get jealous of my girlfriend's cat because he would come and cuddle her and she would start paying more attention to him than to me. So you've grown up. So it's healthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we we started pretty low, so we started pretty far. Oh man! So you guys touched on it a little bit, but would you like to expand on what games you felt or still feel most protective of? Whether before it was because you were gatekeeping it, and now you're trying to protect it from gatekeepers. Okay. You can pause for thinking. Rosie can take out the, the long silences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have some I can think of right off the yeah, bat. Go, yeah, go ahead. Um, I mean, they're not all video games, but video game-wise, um, the Legend of Zelda franchise used to be hugely important to me to the point where I thought my first tattoo was going to be the Legend of Zelda's tattoo. Like, it used to be a major part of my life. Um, I still love it but it's not as important as it was. So I was always very protective of that, especially because Nintendo tends to be a little more popular, like general Nintendo games tends to be a little more popular with um, like ladies. Um, Just because like they make games that are more accessible and more like family friendly and just easier to get into. Um, So I was very protective of that. I was pretty gatekeepy about that. I'd be like, oh, you don't know the different timelines that each video game fits into you're not uh like the main protagonist's name isn't zelda like stuff like that like i think hope said i think i was playing a legend of zelda game and hope walked up and was like oh is that zelda and i like had like a flashback to when i was a teenager and like had like a, a hot second of like anger and i was like she doesn't know it's okay i was literally <laughs> just asking because i don't know she just literally didn't know and i was like I almost heard, I was like, ah, Zelda, like, and I was like, wait, no, calm down, she doesn't know, like, she's not, well, because a lot of times, especially in that culture, 
people would use that as a joke, be like, oh, it's so the huh, like to like mm-hmm. annoy you. But and then so I guess that's the main video game franchise I can think of for like when I was when I was gatekeeping things was like Zelda, um, or like Halo was another big one. Um because I don't know why, but like, well, I know why ladies probably didn't want to play Call of Duty, but it seemed like a lot more girl gamers were more into Halo than Call of Duty. Like that could just be conjecture. That could just be my experience, but it seemed that way. Um, and yeah, so those are the ones I was like pretty gatekeepy about back when I was a gatekeeper. Um, <laughs> but I would also be gatekeeping about like different shows, different like other things like, um, I was pretty into Doctor Who for a while. I was like, uh, I, I actually, I don't think I was as gatekeepy about shows. You and I were both on Tumblr in 2012, though, when it was yeah. like peak fandom, like fanatic fan basey type stuff. Yeah, but I think I wasn't ever really gatekeepy about Doctor Who because my girlfriend got me into it at the time. But I would say the thing I'm protective of now, in terms of not wanting people to gatekeep, is Star Wars is the big one. Just mm-hmm. because, oh you my. don't want gatekeeping in Star Wars? No. Okay. I d- yeah. My ADHD didn't hear you correctly. That's oh, okay. all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you asked for an example of when we were gatekeeping yeah. and now what we're protective against gatekeepers about. And it's definitely Star Wars because, like, <laughs> my God, can that fandom be toxic? Because it, it's just the gatekeeping is rampant in there. It, it, like, there are examples of, oh, you don't know this one single character that I think is the greatest Star Wars character ever that is no A, no longer canon. And B, from a video game from 2004 that barely anyone played. You don't know that. You're not a real Star Wars fan. Like, it's, it's like, that bad. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah, I, I I think I've met a lot of people who've kind of been like that. That probably was why, uh, after not growing up with Star Wars, I also, like, didn't... I, I didn't really try to get into it for a while, um, and I have seen most of them now and I can enjoy them and stuff like that. But I, I definitely would kind of go on the offensive a little bit and like kind of nag people a little bit about that, you know, and just be like, well, I've seen one Star War, you know, and just kind of try to tease people about it that way. But uh, but I think it was definitely a reaction to people having been gatekeepers and that I also would use that to annoy people who were just trying to be like, I really like this thing. It's cool. I'm going to talk about it. So I think you said that to me once like when we like within the first year of us knowing each definitely other, and i was like like my eyes went black i was like i it, it was believe. like you and adam at the same time because i remember <laughs> it was in the break room and you guys were just like both went completely rigid it was hilarious to me <laughs> you've never seen star wars but yeah it was really important to me and i could i could do a whole like podcast episode about toxicity mm-hmm. in star wars and gatekeeping but we'll turn it over to rob okay yeah, Star Wars was the big one for me, too, so we can just keep piggybacking that, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it, this yeah. is just a lot of you guys it, agreeing with each other. It's great. It, it all comes back to Star Wars, though, really. I mean, like... Well, I think it's been one of the biggest franchises to really cross over, like, from the quote-unquote nerd culture to mainstream. Like, I, I think even in, like, Parks and Recreation that, like, 
uh, Ben is like, it's not even nerd culture anymore. Everyone likes Star Wars, you know, like, like it's become such a thing that's ubiquitous that everyone knows about. And most people have seen at least some of it that I'm sure that made some people who were like, really really into it feel kind of shortchanged because then suddenly everyone got to like like quote be a part of something that they you know had felt identification with before and like didn't want to give up and you know like if they put more time and effort into it and like watch more things and played more games and all that so I, I think I can see why it it became so toxic but yeah it's frustrating it it, it was it was very easy to gatekeep Star Wars too, because through uh, up until Disney's acquisition of it, uh, there was something called the it was either expanded universe or extended universe, but it was all, all, always abbreviated as the Star Wars EU, uh, mm-hmm. which was a lot of novels and comic books and a couple video games that just expanded the Star Wars universe as much. And there was so much of it. George Lucas was not shy about licensing things and putting them in the Star Wars canon. I mean, really, really just ridiculous stuff. Uh, like, I think Luke had a kid with some kind of big, like, alien blob monster at some point. There was another story where Luke had a wife and started a family, too. And they've adapted some of that stuff into the newer Star Wars. Uh but it, it does not even begin to scratch the surface of how much just ridiculous depth that the old Star Wars expanded universe had. So anybody who was fluent in old, old Star Wars could start gatekeeping Star Wars at the drop of a hat. They, they could go on a 30-minute or an hour-long rant just about mm-hmm. expanded universe stuff. Yeah, people, guys would be like, oh, you don't know who Mara Jade Skywalker is? Like, obviously you're not a real Star Wars fan. <laughs> I think I, I want to I wanna touch on something real quick before we get into research bits. But I didn't realize until Rosie was talking that the gatekeeper culture <laughs> as the darkness rise, the light will rise to meet it. <laughs> it created a bunch of girls who were like, yeah, well, now we're just going to egg you on. Cause you're getting yeah. upset about this. Like shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I think Rosie and I definitely, that's not good. It's not, it's not, not a good. It's thing. not good. But I remember you and I having that like experience together. Yes, I do too. <laughs> where people would say something and we'd be like, Oh, what's that? That's Star Trek. Like knowing full well, <laughs> I, I want to apologize to you publicly real quick because you made me really mad one time and I called your Gundam on purpose a transformer and you got very upset with me and i felt vindicated <laughs> but i also knew i was being an asshole so i would like to apologize thank you i didn't know i don't explicitly remember that but i remember the feeling <laughs> <laughs> and I, got mad, I got mad at you all over again when you just told me that just now <laughs> i'm so sorry it's not cool dude <laughs> your posture definitely changed <laughs> I it's literally like straight up right now. We're married and you have a whole shelf of Gundam stuff. Like I think it's okay now. Like it's okay. I know. Anyway. So I want to go first to a website. Oh, yes. Sorry, j- just for a second, I might cut this out of the podcast, but look at my stone cat up in the corner I of my saw screen. Him. <laughs> He's just like staring out because we have these like big windows. He's just staring out of the windows being 
stoned anyway go on precious horatio <laughs> i'm keeping him in my screen because i want to make sure he doesn't try to pull the nails off that i just put yes. on so. okay anyway so <laughs> this is from studybreaks.com slash thoughts slash gamers gatekeeping so i think this is a thought piece from somebody but i wanted to read it his name is ian norden he's from the university of texas at san antonio he's a professional in technical english i don't know what that means but his like self bio says former pharmacy student born in Texas, liberated by booze and a 2.4 freshman year GPA to become an English major. Fascinated by people, terrified by social media, likes having editors. I don't know if I trust this guy, (laughs) but I think it's important that we tell what he's going to say. So he was, he defined gatekeeping, he defined gatekeeping as where gatekeeping becomes aggressive is when you enter subcultures. These are little groups of individuals united by a common interest defined just as much by what they aren't interested in as what they are. Gaming culture has garnered a reputation for being fiercely cynical in regard to who is allowed to identify with the hobby. What does matter is that Gamergate, which we will get to, prove that there is a silent disconnect between industry cultures and the culture of the fan bases they cater to. And if given the proper motivation and catalyst, subcultures will gatekeep and protect what they see as theirs. I don't think gatekeeping should be eliminated, nor do I think it's possible to do so. Communities and outlets should learn to recognize it for the tribalistic behavior it is and approach it with a critical but but open mind. Often the question of why am I being gatekeeped or kept if you knew how to do English, Mr. English major. <laughs> or what has this? Wait, did he say he was an English major? Yeah, yeah like he twice. Said, of, te- of technical English. <laughs> Why am I being gate kept? Or what has this fandom so up in arms can lead to a deeper understanding of the subculture, even if it is via an unpleasant crash course. So this guy doesn't think gatekeeping is bad enough to get rid of. He doesn't think it's possible to. Has he experienced it? I think he was trying to say that it's not that bad, like in the same way that, you know, women's issues aren't that big of a deal because I'm not a woman. So, you know, but I just found a little piece of gatekeeping uh, article. So I wanted to share it and have everyone get hot mad with me because I am very sweaty now. (laughs) Um, So I kind of want to shift into talking about female gamers and if you guys want to, you guys were talking about this in the car last night. I kept telling, trying to tell you to stop talking about it, save it for the podcast. But um, do you want to talk about what happened with Gamergate back in 2014? We can, yeah. Uh, so do you want me to just... Just go for it. Just go, just go for it. Okay, yeah. so as I understand it, which is not as deep as I could, Gamergate started when a female indie game developer uh and okay well let's define an indie game so and indie came indie of course meaning independent same as with music and movies and all those things so an indie game is a game that's made independent of a big publisher so in this case this woman just made the game by herself uh and released it for free but her name was zoe quinn the game was called depression quest I don't know what it's about. I I haven't played it. But as it came out, some rumors started flying around that Zoe Quinn had had a sexual relationship with a reviewer from popular gaming journalism outlet Kotaku. 
So she almost immediately started getting uh, death threats, threats of sexual assault, and all manner of threats. Uh, she was doxxed repeatedly. Um, and and just so let's talk about what doxing is for a second, just in case anyone doesn't know. Okay, so doxing is digging deep into a person's personal life. Uh, you can find their address, you can find their full names, their phone numbers, names, phone numbers, and addresses of their friends and family. And then the person who found all that stuff just goes ahead and leaks it on the internet so people can harass them. Great. It's yeah. a really, really horrible thing to do to mm-hmm. someone. And-, and, it's, and it's done in so many places. It's done in politics on the left and the right, like literally it's become this really insidious practice. So I want to make sure we identified it. So. Okay. So Zoe Quinn got doxxed, got all these death threats and everything under the guise of uh, ethics and gaming journalism. So what the people who who started and continued to propagate Gamergate uh, always said was that Gamergate was about ethics in gaming journalism. So it was a, they wanted to say it was about a developer using any sort of personal means to get a better review out of a gaming out, uh, gaming journalism outlet in order to promote their game. So some problems with Gamergate right off the bat, when it started, there was not even a review of Depression Quest on Kotaku, let alone one from the guy she supposedly had this relationship with. Two, her game was free. Mm-hmm. So why would positive reviews make her any any sort of money or anything like that as the Gamergate folks were attesting? I so, mean, the, the, I, I suppose the thing that she could get out of it would be... Um, um, I'm just thinking back to when we had um, Ken Birdwell on when he was talking about qualifications and what he looks for, et cetera, is he was talking about looking for someone who's already shipped a game, meaning I guess like what he's saying there is like finishing it and all that. So basically what she did. So it could be, I guess, then you can say like, oh, well, then you have the exposure to get a job off of that. But if the game is a quality game, then she should get that and, and yeah so anyway so i'm just saying that's what i think maybe some people could argue but i also think it's bullshit so right so after zoe quinn the uh the gamergate it was mostly a hashtag it wasn't really like an an organization of any sort it was just it was a very loosely put together quote unquote movement uh that really spread most uh, most visually on Twitter, but most vitriolically on 4chan, which mm. is a nightmare hellscape website uh, where you will just find the worst things on the internet outside of the dark web happen on 4chan and 8chan. Why did I think 4chan was porn? Uh, oh. There are. Oh, there's plenty oh, okay. of them. Yeah. I, there's, I, there's, I mean, yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> there's also some of like the most horrible awful like like porn on there there's a lot of really horrible stuff on there there's like there's like literal entire boards on 4chan like dedicated to like 
just like the darkest, like Rob said, the darkest stuff you can find outside the dark. Like web. violence against women and like children. Violence, oh yeah, if general wanted, violence. Like there's explicit graphic image, like trigger warning here. There's explicit like graphic images of like dead people, mutilated people. Like there's just entire boards dedicated to that. There's like it's basically like kind of bringing a bridge from the dark web and like stuff into the actual accessible internet. Yeah. Like, for 4chan is just it's a completely anonymous and completely unregulated image board. And they have a bunch of sub forums inside them for different subjects. Uh, and on the gaming ones, and also on like unsurprisingly the Nazi ones, that this is where a lot of the, the gamer gates I hate the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's a horrible place. It was a yeah. mistake, but yeah. I mean, so it sounds like, yeah, 4chan, 8chan, it's like Reddit for the worst of the worst. And yep, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, so, so from Zoe Quinn, it spread to another woman named Brianna Wu. I don't remember offhand whether she's a journalist or a game developer or what, uh, but she got the same treatment, you know, death threats, docs, family was harassed and everything. And from there also to journalists. Uh, Anita Sarkeesian, which is the most sort of famous name from the whole Gamergate thing, where she also received the same treatment again. So I think that's what that guy was talking about, where he was saying that the companies creating the culture aren't paying attention to the fans and what they actually want. Is it? Do I have that right? It's so that's also a, a tricky subject because. Then you get into fandoms are at times horrendous beasts because they will vitriolically demand one thing out of the content. And then when they receive that, because if the company does listen to that, when they receive that, then the company faces backlash of there being too much fan service now. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like this double-edged sword of, of, you know, so whether or not companies should listen to their fans, it, I think it depends on how they listen to their fans because if companies are listening to their fans and paying too much attention, like this has been a whole debate. If companies are listening to the fans, paying too much attention to stuff on the internet, then like a lot of creators sometimes get accused of um, stealing ideas from the internet because there are fan theories or fan um fan writings, uh, fan fix. That's the word I'm looking for, fan fix. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so someone will say, hey, that was my idea. You put it in your movie when that creator might have never even gone on the internet. Right. Um, the movie can be accused of being too much fan service, which is just essentially putting the things the fans want in that piece of media which, um, or fan casting or whatever. That's what you said happened. The Last Jedi, correct? Or no, yeah. not the Last Jedi. The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, Rise yeah. of Skywalker, because they they had so much backlash from the internet that they just changed it. They went with the safe choice of doing what the fans wanted, which was we talked about small. that in our Captain Marvel episode, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then I won't get too into that part, but yeah. So yeah, so it can be really tricky for companies to listen to people. So should companies listen to their fans? Yes, in certain areas like theme parks like conventions like meeting the actors like signing things but when it comes to like official things like the actual movies the games the books the, the things plot. that are canon it's 
probably best not to. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the general consensus. I'm going to read a couple of more quotes. Rob uh, gifted me uh, enlightening and hot med essay. It's not an essay, but it's a bunch. It's like hundreds of quotes from female researchers about female gaming. And I, we can't talk about toxic masculinity within games without acknowledging that females are the ones who suffer from it. So getting into this idea of how both gamers are portrayed, but then how women are portrayed in games, I think are all part of the same coin. Um, so this is from annenberg.usc.edu about um, leaving the gate open for women gamers. She says, while plenty of women are involved with gaming, the overall tolerance of these women is lacking. Gatekeeping in the gaming industry is a common occurrence. It works like this. Gaming and esports have enormous online communities that rally around a common passion. But some members take it upon themselves to decide who does and does not have a right to identify with these groups. Women are often the target of these gatekeepers who tend to be male. The women are asked very specific questions to test their knowledge of the very things these two parties have in common. So that's basically what we've been saying this whole time is that they're not accessible to this space because they're being gatekept. Not gate-kept. <laughs> um, and then this is from the Polygon article that Rob said and sent to me. Um, and there's a lot of them. I couldn't really pick just one, but I picked a few. And then we can talk about um, how females are portrayed in video games. There's often promoted belief amongst certain people within the world of gaming and tech that technology is naturally, even biologically, the domain of men. This is usually based on the idea that men are naturally logical and women are naturally emotional. It completely negates the fact that the computer programming was originally a feminized profession. With the first computers, hardware design was considered to be the big challenge and therefore was considered to be in the male domain. Programming was seen to be menial labor like secretarial work. It was boring and repetitive, so they decided it was work for the women to do. For men, the idea of status and identity protection is rooted in the rejection of femininity and in the denigration of girls and women as feminine human beings. So I'm specifically thinking about Lara Croft right now because that's a video game that you tried to show me, Griffin, which I keep meaning to go back and play and I haven't. Mm -hmm. But she's supposed to be this like Indiana Jones for the 21st century, right? Where she's... you have to tell because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, so yeah, Laura Croft is like Hope kind of said, she's kind of this like Indiana Jones for the modern world. She's this traveling quote unquote archaeologist um, where she explores places. She does very Indiana Jones style stuff. She like breaks into tombs, takes treasures, protects stuff. Like, um, and so she's this badass independent woman who you know came from very rich family and has money to like travel the world and do archaeology stuff mm-hmm. um and she's essentially one of the first one of the first ever female protagonists in a video game um and she was huge she was a huge hit she drew she drew a lot of women to video games but her very first outfit before she got her reboot and redesign for the 21st century was a tank top, short shorts, and that was a huge bazonga. So and yeah, yeah, these giant, giant, yeah, knockers. <laughs> you girls got some bombs. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, to 
appeal to male gamers, which, funnily enough, actually, um, that wasn't ever intended to be her design. Um, so I read an article about this, and I wish I could find it again. I should have saved it. I didn't. It was a really great article explaining where the designers got the inspiration for Laura Croft and how there were other female protagonists in video games before her and how that inspired her. Um, and literally that wasn't meant that her huge knockers was not meant to be part of her design at all. It was literally just a glitch. Like the, oh my God. the design of her character glitched. They couldn't figure out how to get it back. And <laughs> then, put those back. Right. Put them down. <laughs> put those things back where they came from. Or so help me. <laughs> But well, that's then, really unfortunate. Yeah, but then the execs of the studio saw that and were like, no, keep that. Like, don't oh. change that back. That's going to appeal to the male gamers. And guess what? Sure did. It sure did. Um, but also, Laura Croft's really cool because they did a reboot of her games. So for, that we have? Yeah, we have all the reboots. So they rebooted her games for the 21st century, and now she's a little younger, and she just looks realistic like <laughs> like a human <laughs> she's dirty she has like correct body proportions like she wears pants she wears yeah she wears pants she has the ponytail like she just like wears wears non-revealing outfits you know and she's just this total badass and really really like cool really good representation she's smart she's smart she's brave she's tough she's talking to any guys <laughs> uh-huh. she is she is the lead of her own game she tells her own story and i think that's i don't what more could a lady ask for to be the lead of her own game and telling her own story? Exactly. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. it's pr- it's pronounced Lara Croft. You guys aren't real Tomb Raider fans. Uh, <laughs> it's, pronounced, it's pronounced Lara Croft. Well, actually, actually, uh, actually she, Lara? Yeah, she started out as a uh, male protagonist. It was Larry Croft. <laughs> <laughs> and then the glitch gave her big tits. <laughs> so they made it a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah they just changed everything else instead of changing the tits back. <laughs> <laughs> For legal purposes, that is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. I respect women. <laughs> um, yeah, please don't sue us, Tomb Raider. But yeah, they uh they super embrace uh Lara Croft as a uh as a sex object. In that Polygon article I sent you, mm-hmm. uh there's a quote from Anita Sarkeesian about an old commercial. I think it was just a PlayStation commercial. I don't think it was a, a Tomb Raider specific commercial, but Tomb Raider was only on PlayStation, so it was it was a PlayStation property. Uh, of an so she talked about an old commercial for PlayStation in which a man uh, locks his nagging girlfriend in the closet so he can play video games, and then Lara Croft is sitting next to him on the couch. So. That's not problematic at no. all. No, yeah. super cool. Yeah, so yeah, toxic, toxic men video game cultures just turn this complete. Because even in the original game, she was this badass, independent, smart, awesome chick, and male gamers just took all of that away and just oh, she has huge tits, so she just exists to be sexy for us. Yeah, and that was not the point whatsoever. The designers of the game have said that's not the point whatsoever. Like. These were male writers in the 90s, and they were still woke enough to be like, we're going to make this badass chick, and you guys completely missed the entire point of this. Yeah. Like, Whenever you encounter gatekeeping now, what are some things that you do 
to either combat it or just make it less so. Rob? Uh, I mostly just try to to calmly talk about how stupid that is. <laughs> I try not to yell at people anymore, uh, but sometimes, sometimes it happens. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I don't know what else you really can do without berating people, but just like say that that's stupid and then try to support whoever was getting gatekept. Uh, I don't run into it a whole lot anymore because I don't play games as much anymore. But whenever I do, that's that's what I try to do. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a pretty tough question because Rob and I both are pretty antisocial. <laughs> so when you don't want to play <laughs> games with people, you don't really run into gatekeeping. Um, but, well, first of all, I make fun of it to poke fun of it, how ridiculous it is. Like Rob and I literally make fun of gatekeeping with each other all the time because in a different subsection of nerd culture anime people gatekeep whether you watch it in the original japanese or if you watch the dubbed version the english dubbed version and they will like people who watch it in the original japanese will gatekeep so hard and so i, I gate yeah i actually i looked up hashtag gatekeeping on instagram before this just to see like what are the most common things ugh, things that come up and anime is like the top one so it's it's huge. It's gigantic. And so I gatekeep Rob all the time about how he prefers dubbed anime. Um, Cause I, I do genuinely prefer subtitled anime. I just, it's just a preference of mine, but it's so ridiculous that someone was like, Oh, you don't want to read subtitles. Obviously you're a horrible person for that. And you don't actually like this art form. And it's so I will jokingly quote unquote gatekeep Rob about that all the time. So like we make fun of it. That's that's one way I like fight against it is just making fun of it. Yeah, well, um, I, I literally just did that. Yeah, with the whole Eric Croft thing. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. But you were actually example. also correct. So thank you for well, yeah. <laughs> telling yeah. us. Um, and then yeah, you just you gotta gotta try to the way I see it and the way I was turned from a, a gatekeeper to a non gatekeeper is pointing out that. You like this thing, right? Okay, good. You like this thing. I like this thing too. Someone introduced you to this, right? Yeah, okay. So you were at one point, at one point in your life, you only saw one Star Wars movie. You'd only seen one anime, whatever. And just pointing out that like, this is something you love. This is something I love. And we're not going to get, you want more people to know about this. Because generally you need people in, those kind of like fandoms and those kind of things want it to be more recognized because they love it so much. They love it with such a passion that they want everyone to experience it, which is so that's why gatekeeping doesn't make sense because even the gatekeepers want other people to experience it. They just mm -hmm. want them to experience it in their way. Right. Uh, but so I just try to point out that you love this so much. You want to share it with everyone. You want, you think everyone should have this in their life and you want them to experience Okay. so why are you being such a dick about it like like why are you <laughs> like if you want someone else to experience it saying like they're not experiencing it in the way you want them to experience it isn't going to get them to experience it you are literally doing a segue into my last piece of research that i'm going to talk about so this is from teamwork pixelbandits.org 
Um, and it's a male writing the article and he says, we've seen this type of behavior a lot in recent years, typically from the game, the type of gamer who longs to settle down with a girl who loves gaming just as much as they do. As long as they're able to answer a 35 point quiz on cult gaming <laughs> character origins and the exact length of Mario's inside leg <laughs> as the popularity of gaming has grown. So has the need for certain sections of society to to simply prove that they are better than the casual gamers who we should really be welcoming with open arms. I'm a sucker for the pride that come that can come from completing a particularly challenging title. Back in 2007, I spent over a week playing the same 30 seconds of Call of Duty 4 over and over again. After a lengthy slog on veteran difficulty, I finally attained the Mile High Club achievement. For me, this is a great moment, and it pains me to think that some users would like to take these challenges or experiences away from other gamers. So I, as we've been talking, I've been thinking about how, like, with you guys and the guys that we sailed with, and then also my best friend's boyfriend, who's also very into gaming culture, who you play D&D with for a little bit, you've all been very welcoming and very gentle and kind about these kind of things where I, like I said, I'm married into video game and nerd culture. So when I'm like, is that Zelda? I'm not met with, no, it's not fucking Zelda! <laughs> Or if you say, oh, Order 606, right? From I was Star really Wars. trying. I really thought that's what it was. <laughs> it's Order 66, which is a big deal. Anyway, and whenever I also, th- I'm going to expose you guys a little bit for your very vulnerable sides when you were talking about playing. Uh, we're going to spoil Red Dead Redemption 2 now. When you're talking about you guys were finishing up Red Dead Redemption and you were both having high emotions about this game. I just thought that was very nice that you were able to be like, I love this game so much that it made my eyes a little bit sweaty. More than a little sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> the and, only reason I wasn't in tears was because you showed up and started talking. So I ruined the moment for you for sure. Well, you almost did. I, I, we were lucky enough that I was able to pause the moment. Okay. And then tell you you need to stop. Oh, you, need to, you either need to be quiet or go away. This is a very emotional moment for me right now in this game. As, yeah. And I just, I kind of, I guess I want to conclude by asking you guys, what makes video games, this is going to sound like a boomer question, and it's not meant to be. What makes video games so important that you feel the need to protect them from gatekeeping? As people who are now 26 and 24, who have been playing video games for a long time. Because they're just so good. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I mean, we touched upon this a little earlier in that, you know, we were bullied when we were younger. We didn't have, you know, like, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I didn't have anyone I really trusted in my life that I could talk to. And so having, I didn't have any in-person role models until I, you know, started sailing on the ship and met other dudes with beards who were cool. Uh, <laughs> you did uh, not show up with a beard, so. Right. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> but, so I didn't have any, like, role models. So I got a lot of my role models from video games. I had a lot of video games teaching me life lessons, like how to be a better person, how to be courageous, how to, you know, face adversity and get through things. I had uh, a lot of nerd culture, you know, telling me to be brave and be and like, you know, all this stuff. And that matters a lot when you're growing up and you're not in an environment where you feel safe or you're not in an environment where you feel like you belong. 
So you find that belonging in these fantasy worlds. And that's why it's really important there. And that is kind of how you develop this deep-seated love for these things because they become so important to you and they become a part of, literally, they become part of who you are. Like, and, and it's really easy for them to do that because they're all just so symbolic. You can, you can literally get a symbol for courage I wasn't getting choked up there. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, you literally got to yes, sound like yes, that. Sure. <laughs> but you choked on your own spit. Courage. Courage. But like, you can literally get this symbol for like courage from this video game, like tattooed on you in the exact spot where the protagonist also has it mm-hmm. in the exact same way. And that can like mean a lot to people. And so it's really important to me that we don't gatekeep these things so other people can experience that. Like it, it matters because like I kind of touched upon earlier, I want you to love this thing as much as I love this thing. I want you to see why this is so important and so cool to me and why it matters so much to me. Also because uh, I have ADHD and video games are like the only thing that could hold my attention for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> They're only stimulating thing. <clears throat> so video games as an art form are unique in that they give the audience some control and some agency over how the story unfolds. So when you're playing a video game, you're thrust much deeper into the story than you are when you're reading a book or watching a movie or a TV show or something like that. So I think that hugely plays in to the the feeling of ownership that a lot of gamers have over video games because they feel less like things they've witnessed, less like things they've watched or read and more like things that they've done, things that they've experienced. Mm. So they feel more entitled to the video games that they've played because they feel like they've experienced them versus feeling entitled towards a book or a movie or something that they just watched and liked. Gamers feel very entitled to the games that they've played because they feel like they've experienced them. And thusly, when new people enter this sort of arena of of a specific game or gaming in general that they like, they don't want it to change. So as we've discussed gaming has almost always been white male centric. And if they're so attached to white male centric video games, as more diverse people become fans of them, these white male video games will start to change to represent people that aren't them. So they'll feel like these worlds that they're so attached to that they own, that they've experienced are changing to not focus on them anymore. And when those things change to focus on other people, I think that's a great thing because as a white male, I have got to experience, uh, you know, all these incredible video games over my life. So I want other people to be able to experience those things in the way I have. So I want there to be more representation in video games for that reason. That's why it's so important to me to put a stop to gatekeeping whenever I see it so other people can experience the 
formative stories that I have. Nice. Good job. Nice. Um, do you have any final thoughts, anything you want to relay, anything that's important to you that you think is worth putting into the alive air? Alive air. Instead um, of dead air. Just be cool. <laughs> just like, don't just do cool. that. Yeah, just be cool. <laughs> just be cool about shit. Don't be a dick about everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Enjoy something and share it with someone that you like. It'll make it better for you. There's never any need to be a dick. And yeah, one more thing I just will touch upon before we go is just why that the first quote that Hope read from the guy who said, I'm not sure gatekeeping's such a bad thing, mm-hmm. why he was so wrong and why it got us hot mad. Because I, I think we well covered why gatekeeping is not a good thing because it excludes people it it delegitimizes them. It makes them feel horrible. So I wholly wholeheartedly disagree with that guy that we should keep gatekeeping for any reason, because I, I have to tell hope this all the time because she tends to gatekeep herself because I think she's been gatekept so often by so many other people is that if you like a thing, if you have only ever watched one Star Wars in your life, if you've only ever seen <laughs> one episode of Naruto, if you, you know, played Laura Croft for 20 minutes and you liked it, if you experienced this piece of nerd culture, if you experienced this video game and you liked it, you are a fan of it. If you liked it, you're a fan. Like, that's just, that's how it works. That's how being a fan of something works. It's, it means you like something. So that's why gatekeeping is dumb. Because it doesn't matter how much of it you've experienced. If, if you liked it, you're a fan of it. You get to call yourself a fan of it. You get to be part of that. Like, that's how it should be. That's why gatekeeping is bad. That's why it needs to end. All right. And I, I'd like All to right. add that I think it's more productive to support the victims of gatekeeping and helping them allow themselves to occupy space in a fandom versus attacking people who are gatekeeping I, I i just think it's more important to to support the people support the victims versus attack the perpetrators yeah because i think you get more out of it that not just you personally but everyone gets more out of that and the fandom gets better because of that because instead of because generally, you know, when people have their mindset in something, it's not going to change. And that's pretty true for a lot of gatekeepers. Especially on the internet. Especially on the internet. So instead of trying to argue with this person and change their mind, because you're not going to change their mind, you can just uplift someone else and bring them into the space. And I absolutely agree with Rob that that is a more worthy thing to do. And that is more worth doing than trying to argue with something, someone about why they're wrong about gatekeeping. So eventually the gatekeeper who's already not going to change their mind They'll, it, as their fandom gets more and more inundated with people they were trying to keep out of it, they'll either change their mind or they'll leave. And then they're not a problem anymore. All right. <laughs> well, I'm getting uh, your internet is unstable notification. So Rosie, any quick final thoughts? Um, no. Uh, my No, I, I think that was all really, really great. 
the only thing I had was a shout out and it's a completely different shout out because it was that thing I sent you of like the Gen Z of the week. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, so that's I, I, I kind of think I want to start doing this because like, I don't know, because we're always praising Gen Z and saying how much we love Gen Z. So I thought we should give examples as to why. Um, so I apologize for bringing it off of video games. But uh, the Gen Z of the week that I found was Paxton Smith that the whole <laughs> Griffin's pointing at himself. Um, <laughs> you were born in 97. You're a celebrity. I am. Anyway, the, <laughs> the, the Gen Z that I wanted to talk about this week is Paxton Smith, who, if you don't know who that is, you should look her up because the video that she, she's, she was a valedictorian of her high school and she gave this really impassioned speech, basically in, in place of her valedictorian speech, because of the laws on abortion that just came down in Texas. She um, in so Texas. yeah. And she's in Texas. So it, it, it was very, it was just an amazing speech because it was done really well. And she didn't get, she didn't get emotional in a way that like, you know, in a way that was theatrical, it was all, it looked all very genuine and she really does seem to have just, just such passion for this. And I was really impressed because being the valedictorian and going up to the, you know, make the speech to everyone at the end, it's really easy to kind of float on and just, you know, kind of say some nice stuff about the future. And instead she chose to actually say something that would be challenging to people there. So uh, yeah. So well done Paxton. And we just wanted to shout out to you. Yes. I love her, but she was also talking about the future, but in a way where it was like, this is impacting me as somebody who's, you know, gonna probably be trying to have <laughs> sex without having babies so yes. uh yeah all right guys thanks for coming on and being wholesome gamer yeah thank dude. you no thank you for inviting me on to your magnificent podcast <laughs> do you guys have any shout outs that are uh, related to gaming just that uh <laughs> that polygon article that we talked about uh we uh, I mean, didn't even scratch the surface. There's so much very important discourse inside of that uh, that article, which is linked on your website. Mm -hmm. So please go follow it and read it. It'll take you a long time because it's really long, but it's very important. Just, yeah, have an open mind when it comes to the things you love because you'll make a lot more friends that way and you'll meet a lot of way cooler people. Okay. Well, Rosie and I usually do mm -hmm. sign off, so... Get ready to have a sign off after us. Okay. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, I am Rosie and facts matter. I'm hoping now that you know better, please don't gatekeep. I'm Rob. See you later. <laughs> I'm Griffin and go play some women-led, women-designed video games. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs>